0: Welcome to the People Action Results podcast. And today I'm absolutely delighted to welcome the CEO of the newly formed Cybit Group, a merger of three businesses Perfect Image, Cypher, and Technique. Kelly, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here, Jeremy.
0: So, why don't we just kick off and tell us a little bit about your background and uh, how you have become the CEO of
1: I guess, as is often the case nowadays, it's been what is coined a squiggly career. So there's definitely been no straight path from where I thought I would start to where I've ended up. Um, So I left university with a master's in chemistry. who would have thought it. Ended up on the United Utilities General Management Graduate Scheme. And United Utilities provide water and wastewater to the northwest reason I ended up there was because I wanted to get back home. So I'd gone to university in Sheffield, wanted to get back over to Manchester. So there's nothing more scientific behind it than that. <laughs> and I guess that, that's where my true career trajectory started, really. So on the graduate scheme, general management graduate scheme at UU, pretty early on, they talked about this notion of there being two career path routes, so a technical career path. Which by the way, I don't mean technical, as in besides of business and now run. But I guess for me and what I'd started out doing on that graduate scheme, that would have been business change, project management, programme management, that type of a technical career path. Or a leadership career path and a real general management career path. So at first I thought I wanted to do go down the business change route. I actually spent kind of three quarters of my graduate scheme, really specialising in that, working with teams across the company in terms of big change programmes and trying to deal with the people aspects of leading people through change. And I quickly got really frustrated by the incompetence of the leaders and the managers within those teams and decided, right, no, actually, I want to be one of those. I want to, I want to go and lead a team. I want to help these people navigate change that's inevitable in any workplace so um ended up coming off the graduate scheme and going into my first people management role really glamorous it was so i was managing 24 tanker drivers who were driving <laughs> sludge around the northwest of england <laughs> and uh, you know I guess from there up until the last five years my career was very much a corporate leadership one so i worked for lots of different companies in lots of different industries so BQ, Open Reach, Manchester Airport Group. And the only thing my roles had in common was that they were about leading teams, quite large teams, in very customer-centric roles in a commercial environment. So that was the commonality between the roles, but the actual roles themselves were very different. So whether that be heading up Terminal Two at Manchester Airport group or leading the logistics team within B and Q, very different functional roles, but but the common theme was leading big teams of people, delivering great customer service. Um, So then five years ago, one of my ex-bosses got in contact with me and said, I know you're off down this, you know, quite corporate career path and you're doing really well on it, but I've just become CEO of a private equity backed very small tech business that employs 150, 200 people. Um, what do you think about coming and being my Ops Director? And that kind of changed my career trajectory completely. So I found myself in this Ops Director role in a really much more fast-paced environment in smaller business than you can have within corporate entities. And I absolutely loved it. So I did three different roles within that organisation in just under four years. So I did the Ops Director role. I then became UK Managing Director. And led sales functions for the first time, as well as operational functions, as well as global chief operating officer role. Um, And I guess it's that combination that ultimately got me to where I am today, because from there I became group CEO of Cybic Group. And that was about just over 12 months ago. So, yeah, bit of a strange career path.
0: Well, yeah, but but as you said, the, the kind of the underlying theme is still people, isn't it? And I know,
1: absolutely,
0: I know you're absolutely passionate about supporting and developing people, um, and you are one of the few CEOs that I know who um, do talk the um, do do talk about your greatest asset being your people, but also back it up with development and support of people, and it's all. And we, you know, I think we've had this conversation before. It's easy to to talk it, isn't it? But it's harder, it's much harder to to support. Um, So tell us a bit about um, Cybit now and tell us about what you do for your customers.
1: So Cybit Group um, is uh, ultimately an IT solutions provider, managed IT solutions provider across the whole end-to-end spectrum of IT solutions. So for certain customers, we are their internal IT team. If somebody at Bellway Homes or ID Verdi contacts in their who they think is their internal IT team, it's my team that are at the end of the phone supporting those users with whatever issues they've got on a day-to-day basis. But we've got really deep specialisms in cyber security, data and analytics, and cloud migration. So for other customers where they might have their own internal IT team, what we support them with is our core specialisms. a lot of police forces, Northumbria Police, Lincolnshire Police being two of them, we provide the data and analytics solutions and support for for those environments. So we can literally offer the whole end-to-end outsourced IT, um, or we can go really quite deep with our technical specialisms, team of absolute superstars who really know the stuff in these different spaces and can go in and and really drive value for our customers by pulling on their technical knowledge and know-how.
0: Fantastic, and you've only you've only really been there for just literally just over a year. I oh, I saw already. It's like a yeah, year I don't and of the two 20th months, months.
1: September <laughs> last yeah. year. So so literally just over a year. Um, it's been definitely a whirlwind, but um, fantastic year at the same time.
0: Yeah. So tell us a bit about that because it's the amalgamation of three founder-owned businesses as well. So that that from a cultural point of view, this you know I think the now, the podcast is called the People Action Results Podcast, and it's for me, it's always about how do you combine that strategy, what you're trying to deliver from your business, your people, but also then how do you develop, and I know you're a huge advocate of culture, how do you bring those those together, especially after having, presumably, the three different businesses have all three different cultures, presumably.
1: Yeah, absolutely do. And I guess when you are looking at acquisition and integrating of organisations, it's really important to look at the culture within an organisation and where the similarities are between what you've got and something that you're looking to acquire. And so what was true for each of the three businesses that we've brought together under Cybit Group is that true customer centricity was at the heart of what they did. And, you know, this is another one of those things that, that a lot of people can talk about, but there's very few that actually deliver through and do the do. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, our businesses have um, customer net promoter scores of like plus 85. I've never known anything like it in my career today, um, And they've got really long lasting relationships with customers. We see very little um, customer churn. If we do, it tends to be that our customer has been bought out by a parent company or something like that, truly outside of the control of of us or the customer. So that was true for each of the three businesses. And the other thing that was true is that they were real deep technical specialists in their, their area. So because we had that common ground of two quite core principles for the type of business we are, it means that it's to a certain extent, an easier integration journey because some of the things that are core to the business going forward are already there and in place. And culturally, there were similarities because of those things, although it's fair to say that despite what any of the founders would have wanted or despite how any of the founders behaved and their leadership style... What is very natural in a founder-led organization is that everybody automatically looks to the owner and the founder for answers to questions and whether it's whether it's by design or not, and in most cases I'd say it's not, you end up with pretty hierarchical organizations where everybody's looking upwards for an answer. And I don't believe in that type of culture as the right type of culture for growing businesses as you move forward. So... There has been some real cultural change that I've had to try and embed in order to create the type of culture I want to create within the organisation, which is about that more dispersed leadership where, you know, yes, there's a clear vision and strategy set and that is set by me at the top and that, you know, that's eminently important, but every single person plays a role in our organisation. Every single person is critical to us delivering the outcomes that we want for our customers and for our business and our, for, for our people um so that has been a challenge at times and a challenge where some people really like it you know some people genuinely want to be more empowered and feel like they can make more of a difference but for other people if they've worked for a founder-led organization for 15-20 years it terrifies the bejesus out of them and you really have to you know work with them and coach them into why you believe that it's the right thing to do things differently than how they've been done previously so in summary there was some core common areas across each of the businesses which enabled that um, cultural transition to even take place and the integration to even take place but there has then been some some changes that that we're still in the process of making right there's no point in pretending that it's all there and all done but what you can see in our ENPS scores is that they were zero this time last year and we're at plus 30 now so we really are seeing that evolution of our people coming on that journey with us and, and recognizing that we mean what we say and we truly are trying to create the best place for any of our people to work because we know that in doing that, they'll deliver better service to our customers, which will in turn make our business perform better.
0: Yeah, and it's just, it's so interesting you saying that because there is, of course, we know that there is a correlation between um, EMPS and MPS, right? If you've got a good engaged um, colleagues, the chances are you're gonna get, you know, well looked after customers, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's it's one of those things that's easy to talk about. It's not easy to do, is it? Because um, sometimes, you know, obstacles get in the way. But um, I I, I like what you said also about, you know, kind of giving that almost like the the parameters in order to work in clear vision. But I agree with you, which is most people turn up to work to do a good job. That's not everyone. But I generally believe to my core that most
1: people. vast majority of people. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And and it's isn't it our kind of responsibility, in order to be able to make or form a culture where people can actually do a good day's work because they want to go home and say I had a good day at work, not you know it's been a crappy day at work because I haven't been able to do things because I don't know, well for whatever reasons we've not given them the tools or or the environment actually for people to 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 develop and grow and and deliver brilliant customer service.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah um so tell us a bit more about tell us a bit more you know the, the show as you know is called people action results tell us a bit about this is the bit that that we kind of ask everybody on the show which is how do you how do you how do you get the, the vision and the mission down to everybody within an organization it it's something that everybody kind of strives to do but in my experience working with lots of other businesses not always great at doing i know you're a you're massively passionate of it and I've seen you present your comms and you know for what it's worth I think I think it's brilliant um, what you do and the way that you articulate things so maybe just share kind of your passion for that of why it's not just a set of words is it and I know this is really core cool to you it's not just a set of words which is you know the CEO, stands, the CEO stands up and says this is where we're going and kind of good luck and then walks out never to be seen again I know that's not what you do it Maybe you could share a bit about the way that you kind of go around that.
1: Yeah, and look, it's not easy, right? So I can talk to you about what I'm trying to do, you know, whether or not it's working or not is a different question, and it's one a question to ask the people within my business probably rather than me. But um, to your point, it comes back to the cleaner that can articulate that her purpose is to put a man on a moon, right? That It's all about that. How does each individual person understand the the role that they play in ultimately delivering the business outcome and feel passionately about that business outcome. So, you know, I I always say it's if you work in, I was with a friend who um, is the CEO of a load of care homes over the weekend. It's dead easy for her to articulate and get her people behind the vision she's trying to create because she's trying to create the best care for people who really need it. Often towards the back end of their life I mean how many people do you know out there that wouldn't be able to get behind that vision when when your vision is about creating solutions that mean that your customers can perform better as much as that's inspirational it's not inspirational in the same way as something that um you know, is more akin to life and death situations or caregiving. So it is a real challenge. And I guess how I've tried to go about it is thinking about it at a number of different levels. So one of the first things I did when I came in was sit down and figure out what that vision and mission message was. We've just been going through a rebrand. So knowing that that was coming, how could I make sure that whatever I created at that point was going to work with what we were doing from a rebrand point of view so that the messages, to your point, the exact words we use may change slightly, but the message of those words is constant and stays the same. And then ultimately it comes back to giving those messages in as many different ways, as many different forums as possible. And the CEOs only ever one part of that. So yes, I can can get all of the team together on a quarterly basis. And I can make sure that whatever we talk about in those sessions starts with our vision, mission and values and gives an update on how we're doing in our achievement against those things. But that's once a quarter. So how do I equally sew those messages into my comms that come out on a weekly basis? How do I make sure that they're in every conversation I'm having with someone? That's great. That's all the stuff that I can do and, and is part of what I do. But actually what will make it come alive for, for the whole team is their managers talking to them about that. It's them having the corridor conversations or the coffee machine conversations that might happen less now. We're not all in a static environment, but how do you get people talking about it in terms of a way that's meaningful to them? Um, so, you know, for me, that always starts with how do I equip my managers and leaders as well as any key influential areas within the business so we have uh, an employee engagement committee formed from people who just genuinely feel passionately about trying to create the best place to work so how do we pull them in because naturally in what they're interested in they're going to be out there talking to their colleagues on a regular basis about about some of this stuff so you know ultimately it comes down to communication and engagement but the methods for that vary on a day by day, hour by hour basis, and, you know, to to use your analogy of what you talk about in terms of people, action, and results, it, you know, for me, my nudge, as you like to call it, is to always, in everything that I'm thinking about, figure out how I can weave the vision or the mission or that, and not, not in those words, but how I bring everything back to that in every interaction I have in the hope that it then gets dispersed. Um, And you also touched on it not needing to be the same words. One of the things we did in our last colleague briefing is I got a different member of my team to talk about that section. Not because it's not really important and I wasn't trying to say, you know, this isn't, it's no longer important for me. The way I actually teed it up was, look, Paddy's going to explain this to you because you've frankly all heard me talk about it so often now. You're probably bored of it. So let's hear somebody else's take on it. Um, and that's something that we'll, we'll do more and more regularly because then they use their own words, they use their own language, they articulate it in a way that's meaningful to them, which if every person in the organisation can start to do that, it will get traction and, and people can really challenge themselves about, is what I'm doing today making a difference for the goals that we're trying to achieve as a, vi- as a business? And if not, let's be clear, really clear why not.
0: Yeah. It does, it really goes back to supporting people to basically come to work and do a good job, doesn't it? But it's just a couple of things I just want to pick up as writing down as you're, you're speaking. And it just got me thinking again, it's, you know, we, we, we go back to this word all the time about consistency, isn't it? Consistency of the actions, you know, people, action, results. You only get results if there's a consistency of things. And um, I, I just reflecting on what you said, it, it's... Yeah, communication is it's actually really difficult to do. It's simple in, in its terms. And I know you've got some brilliant people that you work with, um, you know, with with comms, with Emma and, and you know, some of your team. Um, but it's that consistency and the consistency of that message, isn't it? Which is trying to get that that through everything you said. So it's not kind of like, oh, you know, Kelly's banging on about, about this vision, she, you know, it'll be fine, you know. you know she'll get bored of that soon that's fine it's it's not no this is actually this is not just something that you're passionate about this is all about the business that that's culture isn't it it's the culture of the business which is No, we are passionate about you you don't get frankly you don't get um an 80 plus mps customer mps unless you're doing something well i mean as you say i mean that's beyond world class that's incredible really because mps is flipping tough to get above anywhere near that so you know you, you, you've you've got some amazing people obviously who are delivering that because ultimately that's what it's about it's not necessarily i mean yeah great leadership but ultimately it's the it's at the coalface that matters isn't it it's that moment of truth for your customer
1: absolutely The you know the people who have the biggest impact on how our customers feel are uh... The colleagues, to your point, right at the front of our organization interacting with those customers day in, day out, whether that's in our support environment, it's our consultants and engineers out working with these customers. Um, It's not the leaders in the business, but frankly, the leaders need to get out of the way for these real clever techies to get on and do what they need to do is the way I think about it what can we make easier for people such that they can deliver an even better service to customers whether that be process or technology or that they're, they're the kind of things I can go away and figure out what I'm not going to ever be able to do is go into a customer and help them migrate from you know an on-prem solution into the cloud you don't want me anywhere <laughs> near that <laughs> it's gonna go very drastically wrong if, if we are wheeling me out for that but luckily I've got a team of geniuses who that's their bread and butter they they'd laugh at me and be like it's not that hard kelly yeah it is for anybody that's not you
0: (laughs) (laughs) but but it is that isn't it i don't you think sometimes from a certainly from a a leadership point of view sometimes it is about just getting out of the way it's actually you know setting out the parameters if you like the framework for people to operate in and you know i know you're a big lover also of the of the intrinsic drivers you know if you if you if you get those intrinsic drivers people people will inevitably deliver amazing results for you but do you not think sometimes as leaders we we kind of we do get in the way it's it it's not through the want of wanting to get in the way if you know what i mean it's it's because we sort of dabble which is almost one of the worst things you can do as a as a leader but we all do it don't we we all kind of go "Oh, i'll get involved with that and it's actually pointless why because i'm not going to add any value something as you say is somebody's you know technically much better equipped than i am
1: no definitely and you know you talked about a framework there one of the terms that has struck with me since my united utilities days is freedom in a framework so you know we've only got a few key goals across our business. As long as each person is doing something that works within delivering those goals and isn't uh, you know, significantly detrimental to one versus the other, then how they get on and do that, I want them to figure out creatively. Um, what I would say, though, is that style of leadership doesn't work for everybody. So even within my own team, I have people who say to me, like, Kelly, how is that a framework? You've just told us four goals and they want me to, to actually say to them, right, okay, so in your role, yeah. the way I'd look at this, yeah. if I was doing it. So you do have to be cognizant of that. You know, I I know that I like to work in an autonomous environment. Someone stood over my shoulder telling me what to do. He's just going to get my back up and you're not going to get an answer that you want out of me, as our poor chairman probably knows at <laughs> um, But... I guess the you know that doesn't work for everybody. Like say I've got some people where they say, "What do you mean by that, Kelly? Like, I, what tangibly? What does that mean? What are you expecting from me in that conversation?" So it is about creating an environment where your people feel comfortable to tell you when something isn't working for them, and and then you have to spend the time and articulate it in a different way, or potentially provide more detail, or try and put yourself in there. Choose and and answer in in more detail if that's
0: what they need yeah i i, I think that's right and again this is all but this is you know this this is the hardest thing with leadership isn't it it's not one one size fits all is it it's it's really understanding how people operate and even at a senior level as as we know you know working i've worked with quite a lot of boards over the years and you know, there's lots of different styles, lots of different styles of of leadership, lots of different styles of learning, lots of different styles of taking in the information, exactly as you say. So communication style is actually really important as well. You know, sometimes actually people hear the words or see the diagrams or see the, but don't actually internalize it. And some of us actually take a lot longer to, to understand it, but then internalize it and then are better at communicating. It's neither right nor wrong. It's just the way that we... I think right
1: and, and i think that is um certainly in this day and age probably the biggest challenge of leadership that you've truly got to be person-centric so i look at our latest set of the nps results and comments and, and without going having further conversation try and come up with what's the action plan off the back of that what do i need to do differently given this new insight and feedback? I've got a swathe of people telling me that the thing that they love most about our organisation is how flexible it is from a flexibility of working. So work from anywhere, as long as you can deliver to the customer's needs, do what works for you. I've got other people saying to me that by letting, letting people work remotely, we've destroyed the office culture. So, you know, there's one example of... I've got two different groups of people there that want and need different things out of their work environment for them to believe it's a great place to work. How on earth do you marry those opposing views up? And the answer is, you know, you do a variety of different things and uh, one of the things we're looking at is transforming the office space, reducing the office space so it feels more collaborative for those that are wanting to work there rather than still having a big open plan office that is now nowhere near as utilised as it was previously that's just one example but the point is you know the challenge of leadership now is being truly people-centric and how you support your leaders and managers in doing that because you know it's one thing for me sat here with 15 years of experience where like I said the only consistency in my career is that it's been managing people throughout to be able to create a framework for myself and to know that I can treat people fairly and do what's right for an individual without treating everybody the same that's a much more hard message to get across to a frontline leader who's doing the leadership role for the first time where to them consistency means treating everybody the same way and that's different to being people-centric because you can't always do that so I don't think that i have do anything difficult in my role in some ways but I do acknowledge that leadership is very very hard to get right and you're never going to
0: get right all the time no yeah I mean literally not and that you're only absolutely absolutely right the 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 people-centric thing is again it's easy to talk about it's much harder to do because people want a a formula or a, a, a way to do something and of course it's just not you know people are people And um, as we know, we don't always get it right. You know, we make decisions. That's part of leadership. Start part of running a business. You don't always get it right. And um, which kind of leads me on to, you know, I'm just conscious of time. I've got a couple more questions for you. Um, We don't always get it right. I I definitely don't get it always right. You can ask the people that work with me. Um, But in saying that, some of our, I don't know about you, but certainly my greatest learns in my career I've definitely been through probably some of the toughest times I've had in my career so is there one particular kind of learning or one particular part of your career that probably shapes some of the some of your thinking now and the way that you do things?
1: I think you're absolutely right so it always comes back to the things that have scared you the most things that have pushed (laughs) you out of your comfort zone the most um that have been the biggest challenge or where you've royally messed it up when you've you've gone down a different way. So I don't think that necessarily, there's not one that I can call upon and say that was a pivotal moment. There's lots throughout my career. So early in my career, there were some real standout employee relations conversations with some really tough union reps that, you know, I can remember physically throwing up all of the night before in preparation for one particular scenario. And, you know, would I want to go through that physically again? No, but did it shape me and 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 really help me to learn how to handle those really tough environments at a very early age in my, you know, early from a leadership career point of view? Definitely. So, you know, that, that would have been early on then uh, doing a private equity to private equity transaction while still running a business that was growing in a very busy environment. When you've come from a corporate background and all of this stuff around that, I mean, essentially, it was like having two full time jobs for six to nine months. And I just was ill prepared for it because I didn't really understand what this environment was. Um So, you know, my most recent challenge has been doing a rebrand. I joined this organization 13 months ago and I knew it needed a rebrand. Like categorically, I I imagine I talked about it in my interview process because it was one of the first things I thought when interacting with, as was the, the legacy brands. But... I've never been, as much as I've been in businesses that have rebranded before, it's never had anything to do with me. I've never had any accountability for it. I've just got to sit on the outside and say, oh, doesn't that look good? Yeah, it's much better. Actually, being an integral part of that process and recognizing the link between driving your own internal culture as well as what it means externally for your customers has been terrifying. I can remember getting the list of potential names and I just went white as a ghost. I was like, how am I supposed to pick this? This now feels like the, <laughs> such a big ass on my shoulders. So um, so that's probably, yeah, that's, that's an interesting example because I didn't knowingly go into it thinking this will be a really big challenge. I was just like, oh, this needs to be done. Off we go. And then it was almost when I was in the middle of it that I was like, wow, geez, this is about setting up it, our oldest company has been around for thirty-one years. It's got customer relationships that have lasted thirty-one years. But this is about what's the next thirty-plus years look like for our business and the the kind of drawn-in realization of of um, I guess yeah, of the enormity and what that meant for our people and for our customers was pretty terrifying at times. But I'm really pleased with where we've got to. So. Yeah, there wasn't a single answer to your question, because I think wherever you are in your career journey, it's the things that scare you the most, that help you to grow and learn the most. Um, And those things change over time. But, um, But yeah, to your point, it's always the challenging situations or the things that you've messed up. Luckily, I didn't pick Sprinkle as the answer for the uh, name <laughs> of the business or Sprinkle or something like that. There's some, some very strange
0: ones on there. <laughs> well, for what it's worth, I've, I've had the uh, pleasure actually to, to work with lots of different boards and lots of different leaders and, and what you're doing um, from from where I sit, I think you're doing a brilliant job. And what I love about what you do is your communication style. I think you're very authentic. Uh, I think you say it as it is. Um And I think you're really open and honest. I think people really appreciate that. Um, Of course, not everyone's going to like what you do, but that's all part of being a CEO. I just um, I love the way that you do generally put people first. And I know that. um, I don't know actually how you do it, but from the interactions I've had with you and, and your business and when you're communicating, I always get a sense that somewhere along the line in whatever your delivery you've kind of either written something or it's just in, the, in your subconscious, you go, you, you think immediately, how is this going to land with people? I'm not sure that always happens. That's an easy thing to say, but I'm not always sure that's what happens. I think people tend to, what I've seen before is, it's all about the end result. It's always about what the business is going to do as opposed to what does it actually mean for me? So so um, I'm a big fan of what you do. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Last question before we close. And I've really enjoyed this conversation. So thank you for giving up your time. I know you're incredibly busy. Um, So what's the best piece of advice that's been given to you and why?
1: Really interesting, actually, because you've just touched on part of it. So um, I got asked this question as part of a different press interview last week. And I really sat and thought because I've been fortunate enough to have some of the most inspirational business mentors, leaders, people I've watched along my career journey that have genuinely helped and encouraged me and are the reason that I am where I am today. So it was quite hard to pinpoint one. And then, and then I, I think I got to it. And the answer is really early on in my career, a number of people said the same thing to me once I'd described that I wanted to go on this leadership or general management and leadership career path. And that was to be myself. Now, that might sound ridiculous now, but to a 22 year old Kelly who has grown up in an area where you've got a special form on your UCAS form, say it was one of the most deprived areas in the UK, who has got dyslexia, who has got a very broad accent, it would have been quite easy for me at that early stage when embarking on what should I look like when I become this ethereal thing that is called a leader for me to think that that was someone that isn't me so to try and change my accent to not be open and transparent about my background and where I've come from blah 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 blah. so you know a number of people gave me the same same advice I guess which was just be yourself anyone can be a leader leader is about somebody that other people want to follow and and you know one of the most important aspects of leadership arguably is that authenticity and coming across as being yourself so I think that's probably it I, you know I received the advice from a number of different people and I have received lots of other pieces of advice along the way but I think the leader that you see sat here in front of you today is who she is because a number of people at the right time in my career told me not to try and be something that I wasn't which I think I could have quite easily done.
0: No, I think that's brilliant I love that and it's again it's one of those things that you can you read all about being an authentic leader and you think oh yeah I gotta but it takes real courage actually because in effect you're, you're opening part of who you are so there's a vulnerability about that but in, again, in my experience, the most authentic and slightly vulnerable leaders are often the best ones. Why? Because they relate to people and it's people relate to people. It's as simple as that. doesn't matter who you are. Just because just you've got a title or just because you're, as you say, you're a leader. What does that really mean? You're still a person. And if you can't relate to other people, then I don't think anyone follows you in the end, because I think it just becomes a set of corporate slides which... You know, you can be very slick in presenting, but who cares? What What do you really mean by it? So, yeah, I love that. Um, totally, totally agree. Look, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. I know how busy you are amalgamating three businesses together, rebranding and delivering results as well. This is the most important thing, right? Which is, you know, we talked a lot about people and being a people centric organization, but I know that you're also posting really good results as well and getting unbelievable NPS results as well, which is brilliant. So so thanks so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you, Jeremy.
0: Thank you for listening to episode number four of the People Action Results podcast. For more information, please visit blackislegroup.com and follow us on our LinkedIn page, The People Action Results Podcast. This is Jeremy Campbell from the Black Isle Group. Thanks for joining us and I really look forward to catching up next time.